Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we are excited to have on the show Amanda Woomer of the uh, website spookeats.com. Amanda is a travel buff, foodie, and paranormal investigator and an author. She travels around the country to haunted restaurants, cafes, inns, and bed and breakfast in search of great food and spirits of all kinds blogging her adventures along the way. So you're going to get to know her today, and we're most happy to have her on the show. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and thanks again for tuning in. It's always exciting to have you guys with us. Um, and we always have fun with the paranormal, so we're, we're really looking forward to today's show. Um, we have another great show coming up next week, which is Carrie Calvis, and she is going to be doing a show on numerology. So that's the ability to predict things and divine things using numbers. And so um, it's a fascinating thing, and she'll be talking about what got her into that and some of her unique methods that she's developed. So uh, join us for that if you're interested in all that kind of stuff. And we've got all kinds of great shows coming up in May. So you can get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H. And please, you know, click and subscribe and comment. And uh, we're pre-recording the show today, but we'll be on the live chat while it's premiering. So if you wanted to ask Chris and I anything, please do so. Um, and we're going to have a lot of fun. So uh, when you're on our website, if you want to buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi, that's awesome. It helps us cover our production cost a little bit. Um, and we're always grateful for those of you who have contributed a little bit. And if you can't afford it, join us anyway. We love having all you guys. And uh, also subscribe to our newsletter. And then one other quick announcement in May, we are starting a series of tarot classes. And it's good for everybody from beginners who've never picked up a deck before to people that have been doing it for years and just want a whole new way of looking at it. It's really based heavily on Kabbalah. So if you're interested in taking that, it's going to be virtual on Zoom. Then get a hold of us and uh, sign up. And it's going to be a very limited size. We like to have very small classes. So maybe about eight or ten people at the most. Um, so that's about it for me. So I'm going to kick it back to you guys so we can get into the show. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. And welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You are now officially part of our paranormal family, which we hope will be international at some point. I love it. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. <laughs> and you're from the New York area. Is that correct? Yes, I'm from Buffalo, New York. That's wonderful. So we always like to get to know our guests a little bit when they first come on the show. And we, I wanted to know what, um, to start it off, what led you to your interest in the paranormal, sort of your, your earliest paranormal memory? So my sort of origin story um, goes back to when I was a little girl. I was about six or seven years old, and I saw a spirit. Um, I was in my parents' house um, one night in bed, and I looked out into the hallway, and I saw an elderly woman out in the hallway, and she had a bathrobe on and slippers and crazy bedhead. And I remember she was walking through the hallway. She stopped, and she turned and stared at me for a few seconds before continuing 
into what is now our linen closet. Um, it only took me a few seconds to absolutely panic and scream for my mom. Um, and she actually ran through the old woman. I watched her run through her, so she didn't see her at all. Um, it was the only time I ever saw her. Um, I don't feel like I grew up in a haunted house. It was the only sort of paranormal encounter I had, but it kind of set me on that path. I was very interested. Um, I started reading books and watching documentaries. And of course, in the mid 2000s, all of the paranormal reality shows started coming out and I was absolutely obsessed with them, started going on ghost tours and then started, you know, ghost hunting and I'm here now. So <laughs> all the way back to 1997 is my very first interaction with the paranormal. Yeah, it's interesting. The younger crowd, younger than us, they they have the TV shows that we didn't really have. We had like maybe the Twilight Zone or, you know, more of the entertainment shows. So that is that must have a, a certain effect to see, you know, the shows and then to have your own experience and feel maybe that there's support for it, at least um, with the groups on, on TV. And it's definitely, you know, you have a love and hate relationship with the TV shows because they have kind of created this unrealistic expectation of what a paranormal investigation is actually like. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's brought the paranormal more so into mainstream mentality so when you talk to someone about paranormal encounters or the fact that you're an investigator you don't look too crazy um still a little bit just to keep things interesting um but i do think it's you know in the last 15 20 years it's definitely become a bit more acceptable um to be able to say that you, know, you believe in ghosts you investigate the paranormal you go to haunted locations so for that i am grateful for these shows even though it's I like them, but I don't. I appreciate what they've done, but they kind of go too far sometimes. So it's definitely a love-hate relationship for me. Sure, and I, I suppose it really depends on the individual people in the shows as well. Now, were your parents uh, interested in the paranormal at all, or were they uh, have, a, have an opinion about it? So um, I always joke saying that I have kind of uh, tainted my family. So I was raised the good old Christian girl where, you know, the ghosts don't exist if you're talking to a ghost it's a demon and it's the devil trying to tempt you and my dad is an ordained minister um and as I got a little bit older I became a teenager and you I was interested in this and my brother was also interested in it so slowly my parents started saying all right let's take them to Gettysburg let's take them to Salem you know these cities in the states that are spooky they have that spooky history um and over the years um <laughs> i i feel like i've like beaten it into them um and since the passing of my younger brother back in 2015 they've definitely opened up more to the idea of the paranormal and that maybe not everything is as cut and dry as sunday school might teach you um my dad is still very skeptical, but open-minded. So I always say he's the scully to my boulder. Um, <laughs> he, he's always good to have around because he keeps you level-headed, but every so often something will happen and he can't explain it away. So that's the sort of thing that makes you scratch your head if he can't explain it. Um, so they've definitely embraced it a bit more. Um, but starting out, they were a little nervous for me and my soul, I guess. I don't know. Um, but definitely, I mean, life changes you events in life change you over time and they've definitely 
um, been changed by that and more open to the idea of something more out there that we're not fully capable of understanding just yet, but we're in the process of figuring it out. Yeah, I'm so sorry about your brother. I know we were talking about it before the show a little bit, and you had mentioned um, earlier on the show today that he was also interested in the paranormal. So have you felt him around since he passed? And do you see him since you have seen spirits in the past? Absolutely. I always say that before he passed away, my interest in the paranormal was very innocent. Um just a, a curiosity that I think a lot of people experience in regards to haunted locations and the paranormal. Um, and then after he passed away, that curiosity definitely turned more into a passion for me. Um, like I kind of mentioned, you know, I, I didn't have a, my belief system wasn't really accepting what Sunday school taught me that when you die, you go to heaven when you're, or if you're bad, you go to hell and that's it. You know, I definitely wanted to search for, more proof of a potential life after death. So that's kind of why I started Spookies was to kind of create a haunted roadmap in a way of people being able to go to these locations and experience potentially the afterlife themselves and come to their own conclusions. And since I've really started actively exploring the paranormal, I've definitely experienced my brother. Um, you know, you have dreams where you can tell it's a dream with them and not of them. Um, I've heard his voice on many occasions. Um, and there's a specific building in Western New York where I am that um, it's an old theater that I was a member at for years. Um, he was also a member. And many times we've interacted with him there. I have seen him with my own two eyes there. Um, we've gotten photographs of him. We've gotten EVP of his voice. Um, so he's definitely still around, which is very helpful for me. You know, a lot of people, when they lose a loved one, they do turn to their faith or perhaps alcohol. You know, there are different coping mechanisms. And for me, my coping mechanism was paranormal investigations. And it's still really the only thing that brings me any sense of comfort um, in regards to my personal loss and my grieving process. That's wonderful. And uh, I've done a show before and I've read the book um, Staying Connected by Rudolf Steiner. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but one of my friends recommended it when my mother died. And he's one of the few sort of esoteric uh, teachers that really comes out and says we should stay connected with our loved ones and that we all have the ability. And he, he goes into uh, in the book why it helps them that this relationship continues. And he also goes so far to say that, which I thought is fascinating, that is part of the evolution of humanity to be closer to the dead. And I don't know what that means exactly, but it seems like the interest in the paranormal is exploding. And I think that that's showing that maybe this is true, that there's some benefit for both the living and the dead to actually build these relationships. I totally agree with that you know shortly after my brother passed away obviously i was struggling and um he had pediatric cancer so when um he was in treatment he had a psychiatrist working with him and um afterwards i i talked to her and she basically i said i i'm not sleeping at night i can't sleep what should i do and she recommended writing letters and she said, she was the one that said to me, you know, just because he's not physically here anymore doesn't mean that your relationship is over. 
write him letters, tell him about your day, ask him questions about what he's experiencing, what he's doing. Um, if you have any theories about what life after death is like, share them with him. And that to me, I filled journals and journals of these letters to him for the first few years after his death. And it was such a comfort to be able to keep this relationship going. And I really think, you know, throughout human history, death was a, a huge part of life. You know, not every child, you know, grew to be an adult. People died at very young ages. And only within like the last 100, 200 years has death kind of once again become like this taboo subject. Like we don't like to talk about it. It's something that we don't want to think about. And I think now we have this death positivity movement and... I think that's so helpful, you know, to make death a part of life. It's totally natural, perfectly natural. And I think, you know, by embracing it and accepting that it, it's here, it's not scary. So when you do go to a haunted location and you are interacting with these, the energy and these spirits of people who have passed away either a few years ago or a hundred years ago, it shouldn't be scary because they're people. Um, just like me and you, you know, you're able to talk and, you know, potentially find answers about life and death and what comes next and what happens in between. Um, so I, I have to look for that book because I think I would absolutely love it because I totally agree with it. Yeah, it's, it, Steiner has a very unique take on 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 things. And he was the one that started biodynamic farming and the Waldorf schools. And I think he's around the early 1900s. And you probably would get a lot from it. I, I love that you wrote letters. That's so beautiful. And uh, I hadn't really thought about that till maybe recently I thought about, I lost my brother when I was uh, 17. And it I'm was so my, uh, I wouldn't say it was the only thing that started me, but kind of similar to you, I got really serious about wanting to, to know why he died. And, and in his case, he was lost at sea, so we never had his body. And so that was another whole layer to it. And oh um, and he was very special, very special uh, person. So I think that, um, you know, like you, I'm grateful for what I got from it. But of course, you would rather have the person and in, in life and not necessarily choose to go through these things in life. But, you know, that that is part of life is all these lessons that we're thrown into uh, against our will, you know, yeah. and, and uh, I mean, now I know that as I've gotten older, it's just part of life to have these things happen. And some people have a lot more than others. Uh, some people have a lot at once. Uh, we all have to come to terms with death and loss, no matter who we are. And I think that in some ways early on, if we're taught, let's say we don't go through a specific maybe and a pet we lose that's a good way to have a lesson around loss and death because of course children really feel that particularly harsh I think we all do but I know like little kids especially because they're so close to their pets um so I, I really love the, the letter part I think that's a great recommendation yeah it was very helpful so let's talk a little bit about how you came to Spook Eats because the, the combination, I love it. I can see the travel part. Now you were talking about your parents taking you to places and then the food part, going to haunted bars. I could imagine they would be haunted because of all the alcohol. <laughs> spirits and spirits. Right. <laughs> so how did that come about more? Just organically that you decided your interests or... Gosh, so basically, it was kind of mulling around in my head for a few years shortly after my brother passed away. 
And it mainly came from, again, me trying to find these haunted locations where I could try to do some research on, you know, life after death. And I found that so many of the, the really famous locations that you're familiar with from television were really difficult to access for your average everyday person. You know, I'm not part of a team. I'm not well known. I don't have a lot of money to spend on these places. So I found that it was very difficult for the paranormal to be accessible to your average everyday person. And that's when I turned to haunted hospitality, these hotels and restaurants and bars, they're already open to the general public. They want you to come and visit them um, for the price of, you know, a pint of beer and an appetizer, you could experience potentially the paranormal. And so many times these locations are so historic, especially bars I've found that a lot of times they're some of the oldest buildings in a town or in an area. Um, sometimes they've also included, you know, speakeasies or brothels. So you add that beautiful, I don't know, spiritual, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's so spicy and just adds so much flavor to it. Instead of it just being, you know, uh, an orphanage or a jail or a hospital, you have so much more energy. And a lot of times I've found that these locations are far more enjoyable to visit, both physically speaking, you know, it's got heat and electricity and mm. plumbing, which is huge. Um, but then also <laughs> the energy of the location. A lot of times these places were joyful places and you, you had fun. You went to these places to celebrate and for special occasions. And I always say that, you know, the really famous or infamous places that you hear about, they're very doom and gloom. It's a very heavy energy. You know, I would say dark, but not dark as in evil, but just right. a very dark and gloomy, which is very potent. But then on the flip side, you also have these locations, like these hotels and these bars, that the energy is just as powerful, um, but could be more enjoyable. Um, and I feel like it leads to just as potent a haunting as the more negative locations. So my goal with Spook Eats was to kind of shed light on these locations that they're historic, they have great food, um, you could potentially spend the night if you want, and they have these ghost stories. And a lot of times they are desperate to share these ghost stories. Mm. The staff mm. and the owners want to share the history of these locations. So I always feel I'm not the only person that's ever lost a loved one and then questioned what comes next. Other people are on that journey as well. So here is a roadmap for you to go to these places and try to come to your own conclusions yourself instead of just listening to what you might see on TV. Um, so that's basically why I wanted to start Spooky. It's kind of been a little difficult with the pandemic. I haven't mm. been able to travel anywhere. Um, but once things are, you know, safe, once again, I can't wait to get back out there. Um, and continue to explore these locations because it's just been such a balm to my soul to be able to visit these locations and kind of start to find potential answers to my questions. And if I have these questions, I know other people do as well. I love that. It's, it's about um, going to places that are part of life too, like going back to the concept of death being part of life and not always has to be the, the heavy murders or suicides and and which can be a little much but i know that probably sells the television show a little oh. bit <laughs> of course because <laughs> happy places are not entertaining sometimes well hopefully that that's going to change i think it needs to on some level for another reason uh so what was um your first uh, investigation that you remember uh as far as um one of a bar or restaurant 
So, um, pre-Spooky, it's my first investigation of sorts, um, was just Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, my family and I, we had a tape recorder to date ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we just went out into the battlefield. We actually stayed, the hotel we stayed at was the headquarters for Robert E. Lee. Um, since then, the hotel's been demolished and it's just the museum, which I think is good, like, keep those two things kind of separated. Um, and nothing really happened, but, you know, we, you know, had our recorder, and um, so that was pre-Spook Eats, but um, when I started Spook Eats, um, my first investigation, or place that I visited, I should say, um, was the Stanley Hotel in um, Estes Park, Colorado, which I always feel like was, like, the peak, and now I've gone to, like, some lesser-known places, but that was one of the most famous ones, um, so... That was my very first Spooky location, and I got to um, go to the bar. I reviewed the drinks and the food and shared a little bit of the history. Um, and that's the problem, not problem, but with Spooky, it's difficult because you really can't investigate while you're there because you're visiting during business hours. Mm. So every so often, I am lucky enough where the owners will let me go up into the attic or down to the basement and do like a mini investigation. But a lot of times things get contaminated with people, you know, walking around and talking. So with Spook Eats, it's more so visiting, reviewing the food and the experience and learning the history and interviewing the staff. Um, and then outside of Spook Eats is where I can do investigations and actually kind of like get my hands dirty. Um, and I love both experiences. They're just so different. I'm hoping eventually to be able to get big enough, quote unquote, where I can actually ask places, you know, can I stay after hours to actually investigate, but hasn't happened yet. So fingers crossed, maybe someday. I think you're big enough already. I, I think you really you you and I think just always ask people because I know from a friend of mine who who's a singer and I forget the whole story, but I think she wanted to sing in the House of Blues when it was still there. And she just asked. And she wasn't really known and she got to do it. And she says, I always ask. I said, you never know. All I can say is no. And and I think that idea of just being pleasantly persistent with people, um, because I like the angle you come at. You come at, you know, you're going to help their location because of the food and the, the, the drinks you're sort of, you know, reviewing and you're respecting them. And, you know, so I, I think you're and you, you definitely have a lot on your website already that shows that to me, it's that you're a truly authentic investigator. You really want to do it because you enjoy it and, and you're passionate. And I think that you, you might be underselling yourself a little. But yeah, so I mean, that's just my opinion about it. So and then are there any places you've been that you just particularly didn't feel the vibe for that, you know, as far as it doesn't necessarily have to be scary, but you, they were not your favorite places, um, or you had just an unusually odd experience that you didn't want to go back? So luckily, I've never had an experimentation that was terrifying, so frightening that I refused to go back. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, if you experience a kind of out, uh, in hindsight, I, oh, I should have done this, this, and this. Um, what I have found is that the locations that I, I am less likely to go back to usually have to do with the living and not the dead. Um, <laughs> so the people that run the location, um, whether they're just not, 
authentic or they're a little, I don't know, rough or rough, rough around the edges, or they just don't want to talk about the, the haunted history. Um, so I always say it's, it's usually the living you have to worry about and not the dead. Um, when I'm trying to convince people to not be, you know, too nervous about, you know, investigating the paranormal. Um, and nothing against these locations, you know, they were, they were fine. Um, but for me, there's just such a, a plethora of haunted locations all throughout the country that I have a very, very long spooky bucket list of places to go that before I would necessarily darken these people's doors again. So it's never the dead. It's, it's usually the living. So you, now you've published a book um, called A Haunted Atlas of Western New York. Have you visited a lot of those places um, or some of the places? How'd you put that together? So I actually visited all of the locations in that book. That was my goal was to, if not actually investigate these locations, at least go and visit it, experience it, kind of take in the energy of it. Um, and basically, I. I've been writing since I was a little girl. Um, I would write fiction for the longest time. And once I started Spooky Eats, I really wanted to start writing and potentially publish something, have the nerve to have other people read my work. And I figured, you know, I don't have a lot of money to travel someplace for an extended period of time to really get to know a location. So why not write about what I know? So that's why book number one was The Haunted Atlas of Western New York. It's in my neck of the woods. It's my backyard. Um, and I spent almost exactly a year, um, researching it, traveling to these locations, photographing them. And I absolutely loved it because instead of having a really, you know, wide look at something, I felt like it was a very deep, you know, mm. Western New York is not this huge area. Um, and I really felt like I could like sink my teeth into the history of it and the folklore and the ghost stories. Um, so, and again, that was the start of kind of the haunted roadmap idea of giving people coordinates, driving tours, walking tours, uh, a spooky bucket list, the back of the book, where, you know, my hope is that they take the book, they break the binding, they take notes in the margins, and they take this book with them on these adventures um, to, again, find their own answers to these questions about life and death. Um, so I loved working on that. It's a, it's way bigger than I wanted it to be. It was like 300 some odd pages. And I was like, that's not going to fit in someone's back pocket. Like that didn't work out. Um, but uh, it was book number one. I released it back in 2019. And it's at least in Western New York, obviously, um, it has a great little following. Um, I have a couple of local bookstores that I'm constantly restocking for them because people, especially with COVID, you know, you really can't travel wide. So let's, mm. you know, get, again, let's get to know it on a deeper level. And people have bought the book and really gotten to explore the haunted history of their backyard. So I absolutely loved working on it. Um, I've done a few other books since then, but that one took forever. Um, mostly because it was my goal to go to all of these locations mm. myself. All the photographs in there are taken by me. Um, so, yeah. And how many locations are in the book? There are over 130 locations. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was a <laughs> lot. Some of them are just like roads. 
Um, so not that impressive, but some of them were, you know, old hospitals, old schools, cemeteries, restaurants, of course, that I had to throw those in. Um, so basically any place that had even a lame ghost story where they're like, <laughs> oh, people have weird feelings and they get orbs and photographs. And it's like, well, that's not as cool as a full body apparition, but I'm going to put it in there. Um so, and we even had like cryptids in there and like local legends. So I wanted to try to include everything, anything under the paranormal umbrella, whether it was, you know, unexplained phenomena, uh, Bigfoot, ghosts, curses, anything like that. So 136, I think, which made me mad. I was like, really? It couldn't have been 135 or 140? Asking <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, that is one of the things I so enjoy about watching um, the good paranormal shows is the history part. And I was just thinking as you were describing this, what if we had in school, we were taught the paranormal history. I, many of the kids would probably like that better, you know, and it, it's, it's, it is interesting and, and often very touching, a lot of the, oh, yes. the stories. And, and it just adds a more a personal touch to like, I feel like history a lot of times I'm a history nerd, so I don't feel this way, but I feel like other people could think like history, it's dusty and boring and it happened so long ago. Whereas if you add in that ghost story aspect, a lot of times it focuses on a certain individual or a group of people. So you kind of feel that personal connection with either a person involved in an urban legend or a group of people that are a part of this ghost story. Um, so I am all for that. I'd be willing to teach that class. I think well, it'd be great. I think you should. I love it. Now we've had on this show, we've had, um, I think our first female investigators were Mystic Mitten. So we've talked about women in the paranormal and how they are very important, but sometimes overlooked or not supported on a larger level. So talk a little bit about your experience as a woman in the paranormal. Oh gosh, luckily for me, most of my experiences have been great. Um, as a solo researcher and sometimes investigator, I've never been subjected to any sort of sexism or any discrimination like that. But um, over the last few years, I've noticed, similar to um, Mystic Mitten, what they experienced was that women tend to be kind of overlooked in the paranormal, despite the fact that we are here. Um, and I was doing a, a different show about a year ago now, and I was talking about women in the paranormal, historically speaking. Um, so I was talking about Catherine Crow and Eleanor Sidgwick and even Lorraine Warren. You know, we were talking about the whole spectrum of women in the paranormal, and I very quickly realized that people did not know who I was talking about aside from Lorraine Warren and I think that's only because of the Conjuring movies that have come out in recent years um so that got me thinking that you know people don't really know female paranormal investigators if you ask someone to name a female investigator they might be able to list a few but not nearly as many as the, the men they would be able to list. So um, I actually recently just started an all-female paranormal journal um, that just released last month to highlight the work that these women are doing in the field that is absolutely fascinating. Um, and we had women, you know, working on the scientific end of things with gadgets and spirit communication and actual paranormal investigation. 
Um, we had women who talked a bit about folklore and dark history. Um, and then we also had women who were, you know, in witchcraft and tarot. And it was just this beautiful patchwork quilt of these women coming together to share their areas of expertise. And I don't use that word lightly. You know, a lot of people say there are no experts in the paranormal, but there were some women that were studying, you know, uh, EVP for the last 30 years. And that's a lot, like, that's as long as some of these other women have been alive. So there's definitely an expertise that these women brought to the table. And um, I think, I try not to make it a male versus female thing because that's not the point. Um, But I just want people to realize that the ladies are here just as much as the men. You know, you see the male investigators in mainstream media on the television shows. They have all male shows and, you know, most of the shows are made up of men. If you think of investigators, you'll think of a man. Um, And it's just to shed light on these ladies and let everyone know that they are here as well. And they're working just as hard and investigating with just as much integrity and intelligence as the men that everyone already knows about. Yeah, the journal you mentioned, I I would love to get a copy. I'm going to order one. I love the title of it, The the Feminine Macabre. So congratulations on getting uh, the first issue out. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. So, and then also what I have noticed now, my, probably my earliest introduction to paranormal was the Omen house and our friend Jeff and Kashmir. Um, I met them early on. They're both uh, investigators on their own. So my first experience was like a couple and then, you know, uh, seeing them. So to me, maybe I thought there were some women, but I did notice on the shows, women usually had a specific role. They were the psychic. And, uh, and that's fine. And, and, and in a way you could say, well, you know, sometimes men are not included in that side of it all. Uh, they're not seen quite as naturally intuitive as women, which I think, again, is sort of a weird bias. Uh, I, I think there is a, a, some kind of truth to the whole mother intuition for their children. And I think that's a protective mechanism. So I think that's where it comes from originally. But I think men and women are equally intuitive and psychic. I don't think it's a gender thing myself. And that's from going to readers. Uh, So I think that uh, it's probably going to change more, I think, because uh, some of, I think, the technical side of women not being noticed is is basically similar to similar to the bias of of girls in science and math. And we, we see that changing more and more. Uh, but it's still not, I think, on a public level, it really hasn't really broken that ceiling yet. I mean, you can see it through Facebook and people, you know, showing all, all the years where women have been in science and math and been doing it all along, but we just didn't know them. That's very similar. You know, I'm, I'm always shocked about the stories I read. I say, oh, my God, that's amazing. And uh, so it's all about, and we go back to sort of history and, and, and everyone being included in history so that we see the whole shebang and it's, it's more interesting that way. No, and I absolutely agree. And, and I feel like over the years, you know, I feel like originally spiritualism and connecting with the other side was a very feminine female thing. Um, you know, the spiritualism movement was very closely linked to you know, women's right to vote and, and women's rights just in general. And then it kind of, I feel like with like the Society for Cyclical Research, it kind of became more of like a man's world. And now I feel like it's starting to return more to the spiritual aspect of things. And I think just socially speaking, 
gender and sex norms are they're you know they're much more fluid now you know a woman could be in stem and a, and a man can be a psychic or a witch and it's like it's not black or white anymore there's this beautiful gray area and i i i agree totally that i feel like hopefully over the next few years there's more give and take with these roles that people take in the paranormal and that we'll see more male psychic mediums um highlighted on these shows or just in you know the community in general and more ladies can be you know working with the gadgets the portals and the sb7s and all you know all the things that the mechanical things that were more masculine um so i'm looking forward to seeing how it continues to evolve because i feel like not to be ironic but i feel like the paranormal is like a living and breathing thing it's constantly <laughs> changing and constantly evolving nobody really knows what the heck is going on so nothing can be set in stone and i find that so exciting you know i feel like the paranormal has changed so much in the last you know 10 15 years so i can't wait to see what the next 10 or 15 years hold for us also i would like to see more from different um races and uh you have the ghost brothers they're the only i think they're the only two uh african-american uh men on tv on I, I i don't know maybe there's a smaller one or or people from that, other that's all i know other races because you know it's you know ghosts are in every culture you know mm -hmm. i i'd like to see something more with you know the chinese or and and i think that hopefully will happen so there's a little there's almost like a little bit of a gap there too in terms of at mm -hmm. least the the public shows and, and people that are investigating on a broader level where I'm sure they're doing it, you know, in little small groups. I, I, I find on Instagram, there's so many paranormal groups. It's, it's really amazing, like doing their thing in their little town somewhere and, and, you know, making pictures and doing all the, the investigation. Uh, I was really kind of happy about it, sort of. <laughs> I love like the more grassroots, like intimate, sort of investigations that people are able to do. And again, I feel like, you know, you don't need to spend, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars on these expensive pieces of equipment. And, you know, that's why, like, I host public ghost hunts um, at the theater that I mentioned uh, briefly a while ago. Um, and it's a great way to just introduce the paranormal to people, because I feel like up until now, it's felt like the paranormal was reserved only for the people you see on TV. And now, with especially with social media, you see all of these different groups, men, women, young, old, black, white, gay, straight, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, getting their little pieces of equipment, whether they are spending all the expensive, you know, for all the expensive uh, gadgets out there, or something as simple as your phone with a flashlight and a camera and a voice recorder. Um, it's, it's so much more, it's like almost empowering in a way to see because the paranormal should be accessible to everyone, not just the famous people we see on TV. And I'm excited to be able to bring it to people at, you know, my public events um, and seeing it happen all over social media. Um, because I feel like everyone has a very personal uh, way of looking at the paranormal. So there's different ways of interpreting the paranormal. And who's to say you can't learn something totally new from someone from a completely different walk of life and how they approach the subject. Um, so again, I, the love hate relationship with social media, um, but I love seeing different ways of investigating and approaching the paranormal, different tools and tactics. 
Um, so I love the grassroots movement in the paranormal right now. Yeah, I like that grassroots movement idea too. And yeah, I have a love-hate thing with social media, probably more than, than you. <laughs> and uh, and I, I grew up with letter writing. So it's, it's always going to be a little bit weird for me, <laughs> especially how, how much information I learn about p- people I'll never see. So I haven't yeah. quite, I haven't quite gotten over that yet. Uh, so, um, but going back to now, I lost my train of thought about the, um, I was going to say something about what we were talking about with uh, the grassroots. Oh, I wanted to ask you uh, what your favorite tools were when you're investigating. Oh. So um, for me personally, I'm very simple. I just love a good old fashioned digital recorder. Um, I'm not gifted in getting photographs. I have never photographed anything ever. So I don't bother with fancy cameras. Um, For me, I am very, I don't want to say I'm good at getting EVP, but I just happen to get really good recordings. So for me, I love just a good old-fashioned digital recorder. I've upgraded from the tape recorder in Gettysburg. Um, but I um, I love that. And um, I also have something, we call it a deco pod. Um, it's basically a REM pod, but um, I always joke saying it works a little better, um, at least for me. I've never had a REM pod work for me, but this guy works. It's the same idea as the antenna. If you break the field, it lights up. Um, and it's designed by a local team here in Buffalo, um, and they designed it to look like a light fixture at one of the most haunted locations in our area, um, which was Art Deco themes, hence the Deco pod. Um, So those are really my two pieces of equipment. I do also love the SB7 um, to be able to do the SBs method where you're listening for voices. Um, But that's really it. Like I don't really have anything really impressive Um, I know a lot of people, it's kind of like a competition to see who can have the best gadgets or the most equipment. And for me, I'm always like, I just want my digital recorder and like maybe a Polaroid camera just to be able to like snap some pictures. But um, so for me, I'm definitely simpler, I feel. Um, So I did just recently build myself a spirit portal, um, which I hate the title. I call it a spirit radio now because I've learned on public ghost hunts, people don't like the word portal, especially if they're in a dark room in a haunted location. <laughs> so, so we call it a spirit radio now. Um, and I just recently built myself one. So I also love that because it's like my baby. Um, I didn't have to spend $1,000 on it. <laughs> um, so, but, but yeah, I would say SB7, digital recorder, and then my little deco pod. I love them. So what is a, a, a spirit portal or a spirit radio? So basically um, how it works is um, you take the SB7, which sweeps through radio waves at a, a basically a, a fraction of a second. So it goes, and the theory behind that is that the spirits can use that white noise to manifest their voice and you can hear answers to questions. So what the portal does is basically you plug it into a guitar noise gate pedal, um, which cancels out that white noise um, and only voices, only the voices come through. Um, So it just makes it easier to hear potential voices. Um, I'm trying it out tonight at my public event for the very first time. So fingers crossed, it's good. Um, But I've done investigations, public events in the past where people have had them and I've always wanted one. Um, But the price tag online was just, I I don't have a thousand dollars. 
to spend on something. Um, so my husband and I just kind of investigated it a little bit. He's a musician, so he totally understood how, you know, the noise gate and the reverb pedals, how those would work. And super easy. Um, I've actually shared it with other people because I don't want them to spend $1,000 either. Um, so I'm all about, like, not gatekeeping the paranormal at all. So if you have the tools to be able to build something or expand you know, the knowledge in some way, like you might as well share it. I don't know. I'm not going to make money off of it. So here you go. So that's basically how a portal works. Um, basically just a glorified spirit box or SB7 um, that just takes out that awful noise, um, making it a little mm. bit easier to understand what's going on. Sometimes it works. Sometimes you still have no idea what, what's being said, unfortunately. Do you think that um, now, now EVPs seem to be very consistently popular with all investigators and recording does seem to be a little more maybe verifiable because it's, you know, it's one of those things where with camera work, it can be dust or something else, or people can also, you know, create something that's not there. I suppose they could with their recording too, but my, my impression from talking to different paranormal people, is they like a lot of people really like that part our friend Jeff, who was on the show, he's really big and he's got his own system with audio recording because he's a musician. So um, what is what are your thoughts about that? I mean, I kind of feel the same way that, you know, whenever someone shows me a, a video or a photo, I immediately turn into a skeptic because especially with nowadays with editing software, and it's so easy to fake something if you're you know on one end of the spectrum but even you know so many times it could be dust it could be moisture it could be a bug um so i think there's always so many different ways to explain something caught on camera whereas if you have this recording and again you know i've had i've gotten some amazing evps in my opinion that are great that i share it with other people and they say oh well it could be this 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 and this and I like immediately take offense, like, how dare you? Um, but um, for me, you know, especially if you are present um, and you know no one was talking at this point, there was no bang, there was, you know, nothing to interfere with this, and you hear a voice or an intelligent response, to me, that's just fascinating, especially when you don't hear it with your own ears, but you catch it on this recorder. Um, you know, that's the, that's the para of the paranormal. Like, we don't understand why this is happening. And who knows, maybe 100 years from now, there's a very logical explanation. We just don't understand it right now. Um, but for me, EVP is just the most fascinating thing. Um, and again, that's what I tend to catch is EVP. Um, so, of course, I'm going to gravitate towards it because I understand it the most, and I kind of almost feel like a connection to it because that's the only thing I've ever caught. Um, and even then, they're few and far between. I feel like if you're ever, you know, watching a show or with someone and they say, oh, yeah, I've caught, you know, 5,000 EVPs over the last year, you think, mm, probably not. That's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it happens, but I don't think it's as common as people think, and a lot of times it could be static it could be something electrical um but again if you have those intelligent responses or you can actually make out words um it's absolutely fascinating to me far more than a photograph because i feel like in the 21st century photoshop and any sort of editing software is so easy 
to, to fabricate something. Unfortunately, you have to look at everything nowadays with a very skeptical eye because you don't know if someone's being honest or not. It's true. The only thing is that I have with my cell phone, I'm, I'm sort of like as a hobby, I do a lot of photography and I've twice caught not, it wasn't really a ghost, but I was on my porch. I do a lot of mantras there and I was, the incense started forming all these crazy forms. It was like in the middle of the day. So I started taking pictures of them and I, I've never had that. I, I mean, I've been doing mantras on my porch forever and you can see like there's a clear heart they're these weird creatures. And I was like, but you know, I know I was there and I, you know, I just posted it for my friends and I, they, then someone else sent me one that does a lot of like meditation and they also had it with their incense. And, but I, I agree with you in that you can't really trust, unfortunately, you know, what people show you. So uh, you have to know the person and know that they're just an honest person and but I, I, I'm fascinated by the, the EVPs. And the only other thing I always wonder is, could we be possibly catching voices from parallel universes? Because I believe in that. <laughs> I like the- a whole the... other can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> like, so how do I tell the difference? Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously well, you try to like connect to the location and if yeah. the name of the person, that makes sense to me. But then again, that's just my own curiosity. Wouldn't that be cool if it's another reality? <laughs> I like I I, told, I mean there's been a couple times where like I've had like these debates with people and like we get into it and we're like this is like we are down the rabbit hole right now we need to back away. <laughs> so because all it's all possible and certainly it, it, it there can be very unusual things that if nothing else you can't explain you know you can yeah. say well what is this and when so many people and I I agree with you about the exaggeration unfortunately that seems to be part of the history of the occult uh, exaggeration and lies. And I don't know why, but a lot of, you know, like the Golden Dawn started on a lie with this manuscript, and yet yeah. they are an authentic group. So uh, this this tendency to kind of exaggerate or downright yeah. lie. Like the, the Fox sisters with spiritualism, it's like, well, they were fabricating these wrappings, but they started the spiritualism movement, which is still happening today. So it's, I almost feel like there's always a, basis of truth there but it might not be as impressive quote-unquote or as eye-catching so you have to exaggerate it or build up to it just to get the attention that these things possibly deserve or you want for it I don't know it's interesting because for the feminine macabre volume two that's actually going to be my piece is how kind of pranks and fabrications in the paranormal have led to actual movements and groups and things so so it's interesting that you said that it was a nice little synchronicity for me oh that's cool uh, you're you're currently uh, accepting submissions too for the second issue right yeah so anyone who's watching um we we opened it up also to anyone who identifies as non-binary um so if you identify as female or non-binary um submissions are open until june 1st um and anything paranormal um you know like i mentioned witchcraft and tarot folklore um, death culture, um, ghosts, cryptids, anything like that. Um, and if you go to spookyeats.com slash feminine macabre, that's where all of the submission guidelines are. Um, so you can go there. Um, we've also opened it up to artists. Um, so a few people who use artwork in their mediumship have asked. Um, so we've also opened it up to artists as well. So um, I would love to see what people come up with. We're hoping to expand it. So we had 30 
accepted pieces last time. So we'll see how many we get this time. That's awesome. And you're also on Instagram. That's another easy place to find you. And you have all the links there at, at Spook Eats, I think, is your name on Instagram. Yes, nice and easy. <laughs> yes, nice and easy. So um, we're getting a little closer to the end. We have about eight minutes. Uh, is there anything you would sort of advise people that want to get involved in the paranormal? We'd like to ask the people that are involved, like, what would you advise people interested in getting involved in investigating or even just parts of group that investigate? What is your advice? Uh, my number one piece of advice is to just go for it. Um, I feel like so many times people hem and haw and think about you know, investigating or, you know, buying this piece of equipment and going out there. And my advice is to just do it. Don't wait until the right moment. Don't wait. Just don't wait. Um, you know, a lot of people wait until they're older or they've lost a loved one. And I, I feel like, again, the paranormal belongs to everyone. So, you know, don't let um, the gatekeeping intimidate you. Don't let people's years of experience intimidate you. Um, you know, just go out and do it. Um, you have nothing to lose. Um, and the other bit of advice I would always say is be respectful. Um, that's be respectful of the location, whether that means trespassing or not. Don't do it. It's illegal. Um, you know, being respectful of the living, um, the people who own these locations or family members that have lost loved ones. Um, you know, if you're investigating a location of a recent tragedy, make sure you know, you're respectful of the people who are still very much grieving um, and still left behind. Um, and be respectful of the dead, um, whether, you know, you're at a cemetery or in a location, you know, these these spirits were once people. And, you know, I would hope that you would speak to them the way that you would like to be spoken to. Um, so be respectful and then just go for it. Um, again, you have nothing to lose and you have so much to gain. Um, I've gained so many new friends, so many new experiences. I don't want to say like I've expanded my, my way of thinking, but I really have, like, I look at the world in like a freaky deaky little way now and I love it. Um, and it's always expanding. It's always growing. It's always changing and always evolving. Um, so anyone who's listening, who is considering, you know, investigating the paranormal, I really hope that you do it. Um, don't be too intimidated by it. It is very intimidating. Um, yeah, just do it. Just do it. It, it, you know, I don't know if I was intimidated, but I, I would, you know, go along with my friends. So we got invited to David Oman's house years ago, and he, he really pushed that we, we do a seance, and because we do cards for a living, we, we believe in the afterworld, but we were not into it. And um, our friends drew us in, and, you know, it was just because of their passion and their interest, and... Um, so I didn't even really try to take recordings or do anything until recently. <laughs> I was like, so maybe I'll try this on my phone, you know, and, and it, it is really, um, it's fun to participate even a little bit, you know, it's fun, you know, it, you don't really think of it as a social outing per se, but it really is a good social outing. And depending on where you are, certainly some places can be, like you said, physically dangerous. You have to be careful for old buildings and you don't get hurt and there's no light. But I, I like that aspect of it. I also really like what you said about respecting the dead and talking to them the way you would want to, because you see sometimes on the shows, especially, again, it might be for drama, but it's like, 
dude, you know, don't, like, do that. don't do that. That's just so rude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe having a little manners is not, not such a bad yeah. thing with the dad. <laughs> so yeah. I, I like that. And, and you were saying how, uh, it's changed your view. And I was going to ask you that. Do you think your, your views about the afterlife have grown and deepened? Is there anything particular that you can remember that now you really feel strongly about that you didn't before you started investigating? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, so much. Again, you know, I grew up where if you were good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. And there's no such thing as ghosts. And, you know, if they are, they're, they're the devil and they're evil. And, you know, I don't think that anymore. I think it's so much more complicated than that. And but in a good way. Um, and I mean, I have so many like new theories and new ideas and stuff. Um, but you know, my biggest thing that I've kind of come to accept, I guess, is like my rule, like the rule of three. Um, but my rule of three is, you know, everything comes in, in trios, whether it's, you know, the father, son, Holy ghost or water, ice, and steam, you know, there's always these trios. And for me, it's the body, the soul, and the spirit. I feel like when you die, the body, I mean, it's your meat suit, so it's its done. You know, it goes to the ground or you burn it or whatever. Um, then you have the soul, which I feel like is returned either to the universe or comes back around again or, you know, goes to heaven if that's what it is. Um, and then you have the spirit, which I feel like that is kind of what remains whether it's in a residual form or an intelligent form whether it clings to a family member or a location um and again i'm still always tweaking this idea on this theory but for me with my brother is the biggest example you know i have felt him near me so many times um i know other people that have experienced him so for me i i have a hard time accepting that once you're dead like you're gone whether it's oblivion or heaven or whatever no, he's still very much a part of my life. It's still very much here, um, interacting and, and you kind of like peeking through the veil of sorts um, every so often. So, I mean, my view of the afterlife is constantly changing and it's done a complete 180 um, from when I was a child. Um, and for that, I'm actually very grateful. I never, it never sat well with me, the whole heaven, hell Sunday school way of thinking. Um, so in a way, I'm very grateful to the paranormal um, for kind of introducing new ways of possibly thinking and experiencing the afterlife. That's a wonderful way to sort of end the show today. I love that. It, it's really um, remarkable that you were open to changing too, because it isn't easy sometimes to change, even when we're shown a different way in life. And and I think that the paranormal can do that for people and give us a sense of hope that that we we continue in some form. And and I, I agree with you. I don't know how it all works and I tweak my own ideas, but at this point, hundred percent, something to me is going on. Hopefully the better part. <laughs> I think yeah. it's the whole thing though. <laughs> yeah. That's what makes it interesting. The whole thing, not just the good. Not just the, the good. Bad. Yeah. No, the whole thing goes. So Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really enjoyable talking to you. And and everyone, go visit her at spookeats.com, S-P-O-O-K-E-A-T-S.com. There's all kinds of links to her books and uh, her journal and um, the places she's been to. I think you'll really enjoy her website, too. It's a really great website. 
So thank you, Amanda. And I hope you have a, a wonderful week. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week.